Hello, everyone, and happy Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, or whatever day of the week it is that you are listening to this episode. This episode is from a Q&A session I did virtually at the uh, University of Maryland School of Pharmacy. If you're following me on social media, you've probably seen I've been doing a lot of these talks uh, at some of these schools, and I think I only have one more episode that I'll post, and that was from the University of Florida Orlando campus. I, I did a talk there. I might uh, post that one maybe next week or, or the following. I'm excited for you guys to hear that conversation because it was actually more about marketing, um, like if you're an independent owner, and also networking at um, whether it be online with social media or at uh, networking events. So it's, it's going to be a good one. Um, and then that'll kind of be it for kind of the episodes where it's just kind of me talking to groups of students. I'll kind of go back to the more, I guess, traditional <laughs> or the way I normally have episodes when I'm interviewing another guest kind of one-on-one. One other thing I wanted to get into before I start the episode is there's um, ASHP is coming up very soon. And there's a bunch of episodes. There's one, two, three, four. There's four episodes that are specifically um, relevant to ASHP. And those are episodes nine 15, that's 1, 5, 50, that's 5, 0, and 51, that's 5, 1. Uh, so if you are going to be going to ASHP and kind of want to plan for that, or um, which obviously I'm sure you've been planning a lot for, but if you want to hear some episodes that are tailored to that specifically, um, definitely go check out those episodes. All right, without further ado. Okay, um, so I know everyone has a different kind of leadership role, and since it is, uh, would you mind actually explain uh, how you got to the point where you are and like uh, what kind of leadership points that uh, you took a place? Yeah, sure. So uh, um, I think the, my leadership skills really started to kind of take form when I got to pharmacy school. Um, I think I've always been, um, you know, developing leadership skills in some way or another since high school, whether it be through sports or through my undergrad fraternity um, and other organizations I was a part of. Um, but I think it really started to, started to take shape in uh, pharmacy school, uh, where I was the president of my class. Um, I was a president of PLS for a couple of years, um, vice regent of Kappa Psi. And um, I took a uh, early on, like I think it was my, my one um, my one PD year, my P1 year, I took an internship with Target Pharmacy at the time. And uh, Target was actually really great at uh, developing students and developing leaders uh, to be great managers and um, and uh, have great leadership skills to lead a team and, and to lead a business. So it was a good foundation for me going forward. Um, around third year is when I got um, I actually was an intern for the company that I currently work for now, um, which was just around creating content. But I was still kind of really interested in the business aspects of um, creating content and how uh, this type of content could have been used in other ways. And then uh, when I went on, um, kind of like you mentioned, uh, I started uh, Medvise, which is an MTM company uh, around my I was actually a, a 4PD. I was actually a P4 student because I was seeing all the problems that was happening kind of like in healthcare with how bad people just did not know what to do and how to take their medications and what was going on with their health. And I thought the best way to do that would be to create or the best way to help um, fix that problem would be to create a personal medication management company, essentially like an MTM company where it was mostly patients just kind of uh, uh, paying out of their pocket like cash, uh, basically paying to have like a personal pharmacist kind of help kind of coach them through their healthcare, kind of help provide uh, information about their medications, make sure their medications are safe, effective, um, uh, safe for them, um, convenient and affordable. 
So uh, that was kind of, and then I, I kind of, um, when I got the opportunity for my new role um, to come back and be president of VUCA Health, um, I kind of uh, uh, stopped doing Medvise and um, kind of focused on this new role since it was going to be kind of very similar goals at the end of it all in terms of improving health literacy, but it was going to, you know, just be in a different way and more at scale um, in a more, uh, a more established business. So um, that's kind of where I kind of got to where I'm at now. In between all that, I practice um, in community pharmacy. So right out of school, I went straight into community pharmacy with Target again at the time. They then got bought out by CVS um, and then I went to Publix Pharmacy. And then uh, during that time is when I also started RX Radio, uh, which is a podcast that interviews pharmacists in different industries um, throughout the U.S. And earlier on, um, I was interviewing pharmacists from different countries as well to kind of get a feel of what um, pharmacy was like in, in other countries outside of the U.S. Because I thought that was a very interesting thing that we just don't really learn about. Um, so that's basically kind of a journey to, to kind of where I'm at now. Thank you so much. Uh, so actually, since you're talking about RX Radio, I think it's a good transition. So before I came to uh, University of Maryland School of Pharmacy, I actually listened to your podcast to envision like what kind of pharmacist I want to be. Uh, so you have currently an 81 episode of uh, podcast. And the beginning of the uh, episode, you talk about um, different countries, pharmacies, such as UK and Canada. So from that, uh, how do you think about the U.S. pharmacist uh, compared to different co- different countries or pharmacists? So I think it was it was actually interesting to have the conversations with those um, kind of two countries because there was a lot of similarities, um, which I would I wouldn't have expected the amount of similarities that you see in terms of how they operate um, a, a community pharmacy. Uh, there wasn't very um, many differences there. Um, but there were some minute differences that ended up being fairly significant, it felt as well. Um, one of the examples is, uh, I think in both of these countries, the cost of medications is fixed. So no matter what, um, you know, no matter what a patient's taking, uh, for the most part, there's like, there's a couple different like categories. I think there's like two or three categories, if I'm not mistaken, um, as to like how much it costs, whether, um, whether it be like a brand or generic but it was a fixed price. So there was no, like every time you went to pick up a medication, it was that same price, no matter what. Um, and I think it was, it was one, it was interesting to hear that on my end, but I think even telling them about how over here, it, the pricing depends on, you know, the market depends on your insurance plan, um, depends on your duct- deductibles and all these kinds of like different factors that go into the price. Uh, I think it was it was interesting to hear how kind of shocked they were to see how like we have that like gets a big problem that we have to deal with here. Whereas over there, they really don't have um, they really don't have that issue. Uh, now, the pharmacies do have, um, uh, you know, it, it's it's definitely harder to create different profits and things like that in a pharmacy uh, where everything is fixed. Um, so that's that's a challenge that they have to deal with. So. Um, but it's definitely some really interesting dynamics as to how like it's it's actually very similar with how they dispense prescriptions and how like workflow works, um, but also how different it could be in terms of like um, patients coming to pick up their medication and how much it might cost them. Yeah, I thought that was interesting because uh, <clears throat> coming from South Korea background, uh, we also have uh, different structures of insurance and um, PBMs uh, taking a place. Uh, so I think that's why we have not set a price for the each medication. So it'll be very interesting how it's going to work in the future. And 
Second question is, um, so it's more of the futuristic question. Um, how do you feel about the new technologies coming into the place, such as telemanagement and auto billing machines and bioinformatics, uh, or Amazon buying the pill pack? Uh, what do you think about those extension and what uh, extension of roles of pharmacists and uh, how should we prepare for the future? So. In terms of the future of pharmacy, um, any time that technology is involved, th throughout the history of civilization, technology has never stopped, right? And a lot of times, you know, people are concerned about technology because it will have X, Y, Z impact on their um, on their industry. But the fact of the matter is, is that technology is not going to stop. There's no stopping technology. A lot of times, there might be a, a hindrance of it or slowing it down because through through legislation or advocacy for certain things. But for the most part, technology is just not going to slow down and um, or, or not going to stop. So with that being said, I, we have to embrace all these new technologies that are happening um, in pharmacy. And one thing that's interesting to, to I, I like to t tell students about, give them kind of perspective as to like where we're at in pharmacy. The first PharmD was given out in 1950, right? That was like the first, or like 1958, but it was like in the 1950s was when the first um, PharmD was, was given out. The first um, medical doctor degree, like the first physician um, got their first degree in like the late 1700s. So it's like physicians have had 250 years worth of kind of honing in on their place in healthcare, whereas like the doctor of pharmacy has only had um, since the 1950s. So it's like it's like a 200 year difference, like or more than 200 year difference. So th that perspective is important because we're really just like right now, pharmacy is in its infancy stages. Like we are all pioneers as to what pharmacy is like, how pharmacy is really going to have an impact in healthcare uh, when we start to really find our roles in all the different aspects um, of healthcare. And I think with automation coming into play, um, you know, with increasing um, improvements in, in dispensing, uh, with uh, increasing the ability for us to contact patients and talk to them. I think th these are all things that are allowing us to really start to find our place in healthcare, because I don't think the pharmacist's place in healthcare should be uh, tied to dispensing a prescription. Now, I think you should, you know, owning a pharmacy, I, I don't think should ever be something that someone doesn't want to do. I just think when you hear the terms owning a pharmacy, I think it should be a different role where your dispense, your 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 concern about dispensing prescriptions is a lot less because it's it's so automated. It's, it's such an easy automated process that the majority of your work is providing uh, medication education or um, MTM services in, in whatever form that may be at the time, uh, whether it be through pharmacogenomics, through um, some of the the new testing that's able to um, allow us to make better healthcare decisions. Um, whether it be through monitoring and tracking them through wearables and making decisions like from a day-to-day -day basis. I think these are all the different roles that um, pharmacists can take as a pharmacy owner. Uh, now, beyond that, what also what this technology is allowing us to do is, you know, we, we hear in pharmacy, we hear a lot of negativity about, um, you know, pharmacies closing and things like that happening. But we all, what we don't hear about, uh, especially um, in the news cycle, or even in school, what you guys are not hearing about is the amount of uh, all the other opportunities that are popping up for a pharmacist to play a role in. Because as you have uh, wearable devices that are that are starting to become more prevalent, you have uh, clinicians on the back end that are there to make decisions um, with the data that's being taken in from the patient. And who not better to be 
uh, part of that decision-making process than a pharmacist because we know what treatment they're probably taking, how that affects um, a lot of their day-to-day. And I think we are in a great position to play a role there. What they're also not seeing or talking about on the news is how uh, technologies like Alexa are creating um, patient experiences where patients can ask about their healthcare through these devices. And being a pharmacist, especially a community pharmacist, we talk to patients every single day. We know we almost know what questions they're going to ask before they ask it. Um, and we always have um, a way to dive into figuring out what is going to be the best answer for this particular patient. So these Alexa experiences that are being developed for patients to understand more about their healthcare, it's all designed by people, right? And I think the the people that should be de- responsible for designing those experiences for patients, I think, should be pharmacists. So again, as we're hearing um, a lot of, you know, decreasing pharmacies or closing pharmacies and decreasing job opportunities, we're also not seeing the uh, opportunities that haven't even been made yet, possibly, that a pharmacist uh, could have a role in. You never know that next year some company might form that they have a a particular opening. And even though it doesn't say uh, pharmacist wanted, because that particular role involves uh, you know, patient care involves medication management, involves making sure patients are taking the right medications the right way. Um, th- those are roles that pharmacists should really be um, able to apply for and should be the best candidates for those roles. So um, I'm really excited for all these new opportunities. I think we should embrace it more and not be scared of it and just allow it to come in and automate the things that we are not going to school for to allow us to uh, actually practice and execute on the things that we are going to school for. I agree because um, we're also making a new master's program at uh, University of Maryland, uh, such as medicinal cannabis studies or pharmacopharmacy, uh, trying to expand the role of pharmacists. However, I think uh, school as a whole, I think we should more try to uh, expose students to the different kinds of roles of pharmacists because, I mean, it's kind of new to the market and we don't know like what's out there, but, but it'll be really helpful uh, if we can do internships, uh, have a rotation in a different settings too. That's my thoughts. Um, so since we're talking about different kind of paths, uh, career path, you know, there are much different kind of things such as like ambulatory, nuclear pharmacist, veterinary pharmacist, burn pharmacist, as you mentioned in your episodes. Uh, if you can go back to the time that uh, when you're a pharmacy student, uh, after you graduate, would you rather attend PGY1 or fellowship, or would you dive into the um, pharmacy world as a, um, I don't know, a community pharmacist or a different kind of specialty pharmacist? You know, that, that's, a, that's a great question because I feel that I got so much um, experience being a community pharmacist. Um, Whereas even now I'm, I'm, I'm in meetings with um, software developers and they're figuring out ways to, you know, increase a specific uh, sort of experience for a patient. And I'm able to provide so much value to that conversation because I know exactly what these patients are going through day to day at the pharmacy. Like I was dealing with those patients every single day, you know, eight to 10 hours a day, um, you know, for a few years. And I think you can't really you can't get that experience in a book or in a classroom. Um, you, it, and I think that was extremely valuable. And, and so if I went to, if I knew the trajectory I was on now, I don't think in hindsight, I would have, I would have thought that going 
to do a residency or a fellowship would have been the best idea for me. Now, with that being said, though, I think that residencies um, and fellowships are extremely helpful. And I think it's the way of uh, where the majority of people are um, leaning towards because of just what, you know, uh, what certain employers are looking for in candidates. Um, but I also knew that I didn't want to be a master clinician. Um, and, and one of the, uh, one of the pieces of advice that I, that I love to give is, you know, kind of be self-aware as to like what type of pharmacist you want to be. Like, if you think you want to be a pharmacist where you want to be an expert clinician in a specific disease state, it's, you probably should do a residency. Um, if you want to go into industry pharmacy, I mean, there's almost, you know, no shot that you're going to, uh, I mean, I don't say no shot, but it's going to be a lot harder if you don't have a fellowship done. Um, but you know, if your, if your role is in, or if you think your role is going to be in like the ambulatory care realm where community pharmacy is starting to play a bigger role in, they do have community pharmacy residencies available. Um, but for the most part, those are more, you know, tailored to, uh, corporate, um, experiences, but you know, if that's, if that's the way you might want to go, I mean, doing just jumping straight into community pharmacy might not be a bad idea because you're going to get that firsthand experience. Um, obviously, you know, you'll, you'll get paid better than a residency just to start off. Um, but you know, the, those, so those are the decisions that I would have to take into mind is, uh, if I was back in, in my, in those shoes then. Um, but unless there was a residency that was really focused on like digital health and patient education, uh, it, it might've, if I decided to do a residency, it might've been to, to say I, I did one and probably go straight into community pharmacy after that anyway. So um, or unless there was like an ambulatory care position available. But um, but I can't say I, I would have done anything differently uh, the way I did it, whereas I went straight into being a community pharmacist. Thank you so much. Because uh, uh, I'm a P1 and uh, we have to start building up our resume accordingly to like if we want to go into residency or fellowship in the future. So uh, that was the question that we're having the most. Yeah. So, so let me, let me just jump in to answer that. So one thing that I did do though, is, um, I didn't make the decision that I was not going to do a residency until my fourth year. Um, so I kept that option open for, um, for myself. And that's one thing I would advise. I would advise that you do, even if you, because here's another thing too, like not everyone's going to get a residency, right? So there's still going to be, and it doesn't mean that you're not going to be successful. I know plenty of pharmacists that are, that are expert clinicians, uh, that did not do a residency. So it's not an absolute requirement for success in your career. But with that being said, I would still, um, whether you think you're going to do one or not, I would still prepare yourself to be ready to do one and, and just so that option is available because there's a lot of people that end up in their third and fourth year scrambling to get things on their resume because they, uh, you know, they didn't think they were going to do a residency, but now they feel like actually they found a niche that they want to go into that would require one. And then they're scrambling to be, um, you know, a competitive candidate for that. So the piece of advice I would give, though, and, and, and this is what I did even even when I was in school, was that I was going to be ready if I wanted to apply for residency. I would have been a legitimate candidate um, to do that. Okay. Uh, so with that being said, um, what would you do differently if you, I mean, you emphasize building a personal brand. Uh, before we go into the pharmacy world, but like, what are the things that we can do to build our personal brand to be distinct with other candidates in the future? So I might have to clarify that a little bit because I think it's I, I do think it's important to have a personal brand and build a personal brand. 
But I think building a true, real brand for yourself, I think uh, it's hard to do during school because my idea of a personal brand uh, and, and, and one that gets spread around is it involves uh, creating content around the things that you're passionate about, whether it be through written audio or video form. I think that's really what it takes to build a brand because the only other thing outside of that is just um, word of mouth and people that know you, um, which so, but what I would focus on in terms of building my brand would be thinking about what my, what I want my brand to be, and then working backwards from that um, uh, via networking. Uh, and then this is like in school. So if I wanted to go directly into industry, or if I wanted to be directly, you know, an expert clinician um, in asthma or um, in rheumatology, like I would, I would start thinking about those niches um, and where I, I would want, like what I'm, what I might be passionate about but not necessarily act on on going full on and building that personal brand because it's just it's just a tough thing to do in school. What I would be doing in school, like I just mentioned, is to one, be thinking about those things, but also try to start building relationships um, with the people that are around you and with in relationships with people when you go to these um, regional conferences or national conferences to try to do as much networking as possible and build relationships with those people because this experience that you have in school, you don't, you don't get this type of environment back really. Like it's really hard to replicate the school environment where you're with a bunch of like-minded individuals that are all passionate about pharmacy um, and you're trying to do certain things, but you'll have the rest of your career to build your personal brand. Um, so that's why I think it's important to, again, focus on building those relationships with people, thinking about still what the, your niche wants to be. Cause obviously you have to start like, you know, applying for those positions down the road. Um, but more so just focusing on obviously doing it in school, but making sure that you're um, doing these uh, these networking um, events. Uh, one other thing, too, is develop like being a part of organizations. Now, it's one thing to just show up at a conference like APHA or or ASHP that's coming up. But it's another thing to be in those organizations, having a leadership role or at least supporting people in leadership roles uh, to help you learn about like the dynamics of how organizations work help you learn the um, how politics work in organizations and how to navigate through that because all those things are building blocks that you can kind of practice, like quote-unquote practice now, um, which will help you be successful in the careers that you end up jumping into. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, I think taking a leadership position in the organization to get to know the politics and uh, how things work, really helpful. And um, But... Do you have anything else that you'd like to add on to uh, what you mentioned today, or should we just open up the questions to the audiences? Uh, the only, the one last thing I would do uh, to wrap up is um, I, I've talked similar to what all the questions you've asked me. Uh, I've talked a lot about in some of the more recent episodes, because I've done a couple talks at schools now where it kind of goes through like some of these examples with uh, with automations and, and the new technology. So I would definitely implore you guys to go um, listen to those. Um, and then obviously reach back out to me if you have if you have uh, if, if more questions pop up, but I'm excited to answer um, any questions you guys might have today and, and feel free to ask about anything. Um, it doesn't have to be even related to the things that I spoke about. Um, and it could be as specific of an example to yourself or just as broad, um, but feel free to, to chip away at answering questions. Okay, so we'll just open up questions to the audience if you guys have any, um, can be any kind of questions belongs to um, 
residency or fellowship or even the future of pharmacy we just talked about, or any particular things about Dr. Richard Wade. Uh, and you can use the mic on the desk if you have. Oh, okay. Hi, Dr. Wei. My name is Eileen. I'm a P1, and, and I'm currently looking into summer internships. I'm interested in industry right now. And so how do I make myself um, be a competitive applicant on my CV and application compared to those with more experience, such as P2s or P3s? So you said you're looking at uh, summer internships uh, coming up for 2020 and you're wanting to see how you can make yourself um, uh, stand out a little bit more to uh, against like a P2 or P3. Is that correct? Correct. So um, it's a great question. So I, I kind of went through this when I was a um, when I was a P1, because when I was a P1 and I was doing it, the, the, the internship for Target Pharmacy, I was obviously competing against second and third years that um, were wanted would would have had those same roles, and a target internship was not easy to get. Uh, so what I did was I I thought that I would likely not be as competitive as someone else on paper, but my biggest thing was if I can just talk to these people or if I can get an interview, I'll probably have it in the bag. And the reason I was that confident was because I took a lot of time studying. Um, how to interview because I felt like it was the it was the best thing that I had in my control that I can that I can stand out with because you can't go back you know, you can't obviously go into the future and become a P three out of nowhere and then boom you're as competitive you know and then you can't change the leadership that you've already um, uh, completed or not completed before pharmacy school so the only thing that you can do is between now and then obviously potentially join an organization try to get a role but then try to like learn like master the art of interviewing because that's actually where you could really stand out. And whereas a lot of times people understand that like you're one thing on paper, but you're another thing when you're in person. So if, if you have like an okay resume or CV, but you get in, in front of someone and you get an interview and you like shock and wow them, that's going to be your key to like stick out, especially because you'd be young, you know, you'd be passionate. You'd have a lot of growth potential, um, plus you'd be kind of, you'd probably end up blowing away someone else because you mastered kind of like how to answer like every interview question in a sense, you know? So as a follow-up to, uh, your response, uh, I'm part of the internship prep series currently, and we, in a few weeks, we're going to have a practice interview and a practice phone interview. I was wondering what are some, uh, advice that you can give me preparing for that? So the way I, there's an article that I wrote um, that I'll, I'll be sure to share this so you guys can see it, but there's actually a way to answer every single question. Like every, like there's actually a technique to be able to answer every single interview question. It requires a lot of prep. Um, but essentially every question that you get asked is asking to find one particular thing out. Like it has one type of answer and at all times you should have an answer for that question ready. And uh, so there's a specific way to prepare for these questions where you almost like you almost go through all the different types of answers that every single question can potentially look for and then have an answer ready for it. 
Um, it almost comes to a point where it's like, I got to a point with this particular like way of prepping for interviews where it's like, I strategically paused, like would, would, would pause during a question because I didn't want them to think I was like reading their mind and knew the answer already. But anytime someone asked me a particular interview question, I always knew what the answer was going to be because I, I had an answer for the root of every potential question. Now there is a rare time that you would not have the answer to a particular question. And that's because they ask you something random, like, you know, uh, pick your favorite. Like if you had to be a car, what type of car would you be? Like, obviously there's unlimited ways that you can ask that particular question. Um, but there's also, even in that sense, uh, not really a, a way to answer that incorrectly. If you, um, if you are able to just come up with something random and be confident with why you picked it. Yeah, uh, I'll make sure to repost your um, article through with the audiences after the uh, conference. Okay. Uh, does anyone have other questions? Hi, Dr. Waith. I'm Brooke. I'm also a P1. I was really interested in that consulting firm that you said that you started. And mm -hmm. I was just wondering if you could share with us uh, your biggest impetus is when you, when you started that. Um, it seems like the hospital environment can be really daunting to a bunch of patients and they forget because they're afraid or because they're um, just because they're so overwhelmed that they're the number one priority. So I was just wondering if that had something to do with it or if there was other things involved with that consulting idea as well. Yeah. So it was actually on my rotations at a hospital that like really sparked uh, the feel the need to do this was because um at the time that I was on this particular rotation, I was at a hospital and um, I was given a particular floor that on that floor, I had to go into every room and ask them a bunch, a couple questions that were from the um, what's called an HCAP survey, which is basically a survey that patients take at the end of a stay um, that hospitals get graded on. And, you know, if hospitals do bad on that survey, their their reimbursement rates go down. So it's, it's an important thing for them. So being that I was a student there, they would make me go in and make sure patients knew what was going on with their medications because that was what was asked on the survey. And I just with just seeing the com kind of complete lack of like knowledge and, and how much they appreciated my help. I was like, this this needs to be a business. Um, now, that the business, I mean, frankly, if it was wildly successful, I wouldn't be in the role I'm in now. So it, it wasn't a wildly successful business and it was a huge road ahead because while its studies have been proven that pharmacists are, um, you know, pharmacists, medication management services save money on healthcare. Like for every like dollar invested, you get like $10 worth of, um, you know, healthcare um, savings. The patients don't know that. And patients also expect for um, insurance companies to pay for their health services. And it's, it's wildly difficult to market to a patient to convince them to pay you for a service that they think should be covered by the insurance. So uh, that would have been the biggest challenge. And what was the challenge in really trying to let that grow? Um, I didn't have a, you know, a huge marketing team. It was just, it was kind of like me and a couple other uh, pharmacists that were trying to get things going with that. Um, so there was a long, long road ahead. Um, if someone wanted to do that and I can't, I wouldn't even be able to see that being anything crazy successful now. Whereas if a pharmacist wanted to do, to do that on their own, it'd likely be, you know, a small side income. However, they do have pharmacies that are creating MTM services that are that are being done at scale, uh, that are uh, being paid and reimbursed by um, by by health insurance companies. 
Uh, there's a company called Aspen RX Health, which you can definitely look into. They're doing like an Uber model for uh, medication therapy management services, um, which is one thing that you can, um, you know, th that's one big model. It was a different model to the way I was doing it because um, the way I thought about it was, you know, I, I would only have like a, like a certain set of patients would just kind of similarly to how like a physician's practice has, you know, X amount of patients coming to them only. That was kind of how I would do it. Whereas this um, model with Aspen, um, with Aspen RX Health, it's like the patients are kind of at random, which over time you could end up building the, the way that they're, they're building into the model. I think you can build retention where patients can request you to perform services on them. But um, but it was a little bit different approach as to the way I was doing it. But uh, um, I'm not sure if that answered your question. <laughs> it might have been a long-winded answer. That did. Thank you so okay, much. Great, great. Good meeting you guys, Eileen. And I forgot. What was, what was your name again? The one that just asked the question? Brooke? Brooke. Ah, Brooke. Okay, got it. Yeah, probably we can take a picture after all this. I know you couldn't be able to see us today, uh, but I also want you to see our faces, even though it's a picture. Great. Thing. Uh, and I can send it to you. Um, yeah. Another question? Yes. Hi, Dr. Roth. My name is Meg, and I'm a P2. Um, and my question is with regards to, um, like, mobile health or even smartwatches in regards to health management. You kind of alluded to that in your uh, earlier talk. Um, can you tell us what type of technologies are out there currently in terms of like medication adherence or uh, in, in a place where you think that pharmacists could kind of help out in, in that? Sure. So I'll give you two, I'll give you two examples. Um, so the company I work for now, VUCA Health, what we do is we create medication education videos um, that can be integrated into mobile apps, websites, and other platforms. And um, what companies can do is if they build a platform to help patients, you know, uh, manage their medications, they would integrate our videos into that platform. Uh, one of our customers today is a customer called MediSafe. And um, you can download their app. It's a free app in, their app, in the app store. Uh, it's basically a medication reminder app. Like people, patients can literally go in, uh, put in their medications and, and have a list always, you know, if they want to show their doctors or the healthcare or just themselves, they have a list of their medications there, when they're supposed to take it, how they're supposed to take it. Um, in that app is, is a, um, is they've integrated our medication education videos into that. So the patients can go in and see, and obviously watch a video about their prescription. Uh, that's a, an actual example where our company, which has a team of pharmacists that create the content, um, is working with a mobile platform, a mobile app that is um, helping patient adherence. So that's one that's one example there. Uh, there's another um, there's another company. Uh, it's called Groove Health, I think. G R O O V E Health dot com, I think, is their website. They've created a pretty cool, um, similar to MediSafe. It's a medication management app. Uh, but they, I think they have other services that they'll end up offering to patients. But the, the different thing about their app is they have a kind of like a, a like a virtual assistant kind of AI type of um, platform where a patient can like ask a question like, you know, how do I take, you know, what's the side effects of like simvastatin? And uh, there's like a, a, a bot, like a chat bot that automatically responds to questions. Um, and I think that's cool because similar to the Alexa devices that I talked about where, you know, pharmacists are designing the, the experience. Um, that company has people that are, that are creating the answers 
to these questions. Now the answers are not live in real time, but they just create a data. They just create a data bank of uh, of these um, of these answers to like all these common questions, and then they have like a machine learning um, algorithm that's able to like send back the messages to the patients um, to help them like better understand and help with health literacy to better understand their medications. So that's um that's one that's a second example as to like mobile um health and how like digital health is playing a role there um because in reality most of like you know cvs and like the bigger players they're not they're not i mean they're invested in mobile in mobile development but they're just uh they're not able i think to do a lot of the things that some of these other companies have done um that are more like they more act like startups um and then uh they don't have to specifically worry about time back into specific pharmacy management systems like a CVS or a Walgreens might do. So, um, um, so those are the type of, I guess, um, options that are available out there. And I guess to follow up on that. So as you know, pharmacy students and in this day and age, you can go online and kind of learn new skills. There's several platforms that offer like coding uh, lessons. Do you think that would be a valuable route to take in terms of just, you know, building your skill aside yeah. from what you learn. So that, that's a good, that's a great question. Um, because there, there's a, there's a legitimate debate where, you know, if you want to go into like informatics, uh, pharmacy or informatics and healthcare, you know, should you know how to code? And I think what people have, what people have to understand is a developer, like a real coder that knows how to code has been doing, will be, will have, built on expertise in coding as much as you will built on expertise of your knowledge in pharmacy. So, you know, they might go through, you know, two, four, five years, whatever of like hard training and practice to like become an expert in developing code. And you just kind of doing code on the side is not going to be anywhere near your ability to do what they do. Uh, with that being said, I think it's good to understand like the basics of code um, maybe to know what the different type of code languages are and what the limitations may or may not be. Um, but if I'm a, if I'm run, which, you know, technically I am, I'm running a company that's um, that has a technology platform. If I need code done, I'm not hiring a pharmacist that knows how to code. I'm hiring a coder. I'm hiring a developer. I'll hire a pharmacist to help uh, design and be part of the strategy for what that program is going to look like. But I'm not hiring you because you learn how to code on the side, you know. So I think that's important to know where just because you don't code doesn't mean you can't you're not a competitive candidate uh, for uh, for a technology company. I think understanding technology and understanding uh, the capabilities of it and, and having a vision for what it can what it can do, what it's not currently doing um, from a from a pharmacist standpoint is the skills that you should be uh, doing research on and developing. Okay, I think we're actually running out of time for the next class, uh, for this classroom. So, you know how it is, the last question will be, you know, every time when you, during the episode, this is the question. So I'm gonna ask you to. Uh, so if you can take someone to dinner, <laughs> it has to be super famous, having Wikipedia, uh, but it cannot be the current president or the past president. So who would you take out and why? So it's an amazing question there, sir. <laughs> uh, I would take um, I would take Elon Musk out to dinner. I am super fascinated with his ability to obviously build crazy businesses and do things, but 
his approach to everything I think is different to what's um, mainstream and normal. And, you know, we've only seen what he wants to do with going to space, uh, with creating solar energy, uh, you know, with electric cars and, and sun panels and things like that. But I'm actually super curious to know like how he would change healthcare because I know he he's probably thought about it. I'm sure it's on his mind and, and it might be something that he'll go into eventually, but I'm super curious to know what he would do if he, if he had, you know, unlimited resources um, and, and those other two businesses were successful in doing what he wanted, what he would do with healthcare. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I really just want to wish you and your family a very, very happy Thanksgiving.